0: The Academic Podcast Agency.
1: In 2011, Hillary Clinton delivered what is widely considered to be a historic speech about the importance of recognising gay rights as human rights, not just within the US, but globally.
0: And that is why gay rights are human rights, and human rights are gay rights.
1: Six years later, this episode of the Glass B Game has come to southern China to visit one of the many cities in a fast-changing country where people are questioning the significance of sexual identity in the modern world. And later in this episode, we shall also travel to Tulsa, Oklahoma to see how a changing political climate in the US has been affecting the lives of its LGBT population.
0: It does not matter what country we live in, who our leaders are, or even who we are. Because we are human, We therefore have rights.
1: China and the United States are often depicted on the world stage as superpowers with opposing cultural and national characters. China, for instance, is a communist republic where all land is owned by the state and leased to the people. The US, in contrast, is a liberal democracy with a fundamental culture of property ownership. China operates a policy of state-controlled media censorship, whilst the US proselytises freedom of speech and of its press. So at this point in history, how does state policy and ideas of national character inform the personal experiences of those that identify as LGBT? Are the cultural differences between China and the US meaningfully comparable? And should both countries be doing more to uphold their commitment to the International Bill of Human Rights as Hillary Clinton suggests?
2: The time through which we are now passing is of exceptional character.
3: This is. The Glass Bead Game!
4: The Glass Bead Game!
2: My dear friends.
4: It's Bob! The
3: Hi, Hello.
1: We are presently in the office of a youth center in southern China. And the voice of the interviewer is the Glass Bead Game producer BB Letts Due to concerns about anonymity, exact locations and persons shall remain nameless or be referred to with a pseudonym.
3: My name is uh, you mean English name?
5: Uh, whatever you prefer.
3: Okay, Joga. Yeah, my uh, English name Joga. Yeah, Joga Jia. Oh,
5: and uh, what do you do?
3: I'm a therapist. Yeah. Also, I think I'm a teacher. But mostly, my my work is a therapy. Yes. I just want to teach what I have learned about the society or about the people. Um, knowledge of sex is uh, is not so well-teached in China, you know. They just won't talk about sex. The, the teacher won't talk and your parents uh, will not talk about sex to you. So you barely know nothing about sex, like uh, in, in this country. So that's what I want to teach. Yeah. Oh.
1: It's very important to clarify at this point that in China it is not illegal to be gay. Sex between same-sex couples has been legal since 1997, however it was not until 2001 that the Chinese Society of Psychiatry declassified homosexuality as a mental disorder. For the WHO the same process happened in
3: 1990. uh, my mother's sister, she is a lesbian, but she didn't, didn't come out. She just like other people to get married and to have a son. But in a very short time, they, she divorced and never married again. And we all knew that she's different because she just, <laughs> you know, she just w- wants to play with girls and women or, you know, she's a lesbian. But my mother and, and, and her, is, they didn't talk about it. So I think um, some of the uh, gay people in the old age, they just pretend to be straight, to let the people know, OK, she's she, she married and she has a baby, so she's normal.
1: A study published by the UN in 2016 found that in China, very few LGBT individuals choose to be open regarding their sexual orientation or gender identity. The report proposes that less than 5.5% were fully open in their schools, workplaces and religious communities, whilst only 14.6% had come out to their own families.
3: When I grow up, when I notice I'm a lesbian, I would tell myself, OK, you must uh you must come out and you must have to deal with the, the press. Yeah, you, you have to tell your parents because I don't want to be like my aunt. It's a very miserable life. Uh stay in the closet and just cannot love the
1: the people she wants to love. In order to understand the significance of state legislation and its relationship to sexual identities on a global stage, I spoke to author and pioneering gay activist Dennis Altman. China is clearly
2: going through huge transitions and I think that the assumption that most people in the West made up till a decade ago was inevitably as they get richer they'll become more like us liberal democracy will flourish and of course along with that we will have uh, acceptance of diversity. I, I think that's increasingly questionable. I, mean, I, think as a, I think there are possibly new forms that we can't quite imagine or envision.
1: The reality or perception which is equally as important of the split between western democracies and the rest that somehow uh, a progressive view or a view uh, which accepts homosexuality and is tolerant of sexual expression is somehow synonymous with democracy that that idea is that I mean is that a claim which people are making or
2: it certainly is a claim that um, I think the Obama administration, though not I suspect the Trump administration would have made, I think that there are some clear correlates. Um, The greater acceptance of sexual diversity will come in countries that are affluent, that have liberal democratic political systems, and that do not have uh, authoritarian dominant religious traditions. The problem with the binary divide is that It really only works when we look at what governments do at an international level. And that's measurable, it's easily accessible, and there, you know, governments vote for or against. But at the same time, the degree of hypocrisy in international affairs is such that even that isn't a very good guide. Uh, If one went to China, uh, one has to keep... Separate, I think, the, the whole cultural assumptions about gender, about family, and the extreme unwillingness to talk openly until fairly recently about sexuality in general.
3: We are trying to show the government that we, we have no harm to, to the, the students or we are no harm to you. Uh, we are not trying to grab the, the, the leadership. We're trying to let the, uh, the government know we are doing a good thing for the society. We are doing a good thing for the students. And so maybe some days they will know what we are doing is good. The LGBT right now, some people in China, they think it's wrong. Some somewhere in, in the bottom of their hearts, they think it's wrong. So they will tell lies about it. Once you tell a lie, that means you think it's wrong. I fell in love with my wife 10 years ago because I am a lesbian, and what I know is I, I'm born to to be a lesbian. I think it's nature. Yeah, it's, it's a natural thing. I cannot see something wrong. Nothing wrong about it, it's just love. And the people it just happen to be a girl. Okay, that that maybe is different from other people, but. The love is all the same. It's the same with other
1: people's love. Whilst same-sex relations are not illegal in China, there is very little legislation that exists to support those that identify as LGBT. And in reality this means, amongst other things, no discrimination protections in the workplace, no status recognition of same-sex unions such as marriage and civil partnerships, and no mechanism by which same-sex Chinese couples are able to adopt children. Irrespective of democratic or communist politics, it becomes apparent that the absence of this type of legislation forms an important part of a communication between state and citizen about what behaviours are favoured and what identities should be culturally respected. Dennis Altman again. Where the polarisation
2: model is weakest is... It somehow positions the world as divided into good and bad. and We're the goodies and they're the baddies. And as I say, the goodies were led by Obama, the baddies were led by Putin. That's pretty simple um, until Donald Trump came along and messed it all up. But what's happening in East Asia is, I think, very different. Um, The Chinese government has a very strong position of not interfering in the internal affairs of other countries. So the Chinese government basically couldn't care less if people are flogged to death. If they can build the Silk Road through those sheikdoms, they will build the Silk Road through those sheikdoms. On the other hand, within China, within Vietnam, uh, within um, basically across East Asia, I think new models are emerging. Uh, and I think, therefore, people in China seeming to be both progressive and regressive. The problem with that is they're concepts that make sense if we assume our position is universal and therefore we can measure everything against it. So I think there is a different form of acceptance of sexual diversity that could well emerge in East Asia that is going to be somewhat different to what we expect in the West. My feeling is there may be new norms emerging in East Asia that our terms don't really cover.
4: It
1: seems worthwhile at this juncture to try and have a discussion about terminology. This is important because before a government can agree or disagree with a person or legislate for or against a certain group, their difference, in commas, needs to be identified and named. And this in itself becomes a problem, as people from all cultures are resistant to easy and uniform categorization, especially when it comes to sexual and gender identity. Some consider a more progressive and inclusive term to be sexual orientation and gender identity, also known as soji a term that applies to everyone and recognises a full range of human experience. To address this issue of terminology, I spoke to queer theorist Cindy Webber at the University of Sussex. What differentiates uh, for you the terminology of queer from homosexual or gay?
4: So we see different transformations in, in language that occur through the 1900s and you know, up to the present where a term like gay meant something like happy and then it became something that people embraced as a figure of the male homosexual. And then part of the story is about trying to find a positive way to describe those people who would identify as having kinds of sexual practices that would have made them be the homosexual. How do you find a positive way to talk about them? How do we find positive ways to talk about ourselves if we are seen to be involved in those kinds of sexual practices that we don't think of as perverse? So LGBT unpacked is um, lesbian, gay, bisexual, transsexual, and the and of course while those things in some ways may overlap and may not, this idea of the LGBT became a coalition of people, a way to talk in a less pejorative way to describe those people whose practices around sex, sexuality, gender identity, identifications had previously only been described in pejorative ways, and so. So when we get to the term of queer, it's very often people who say, well, look, it isn't, there isn't something called um, homosexual versus uh, heterosexual. That binary falls apart, um, that there's a range of sexual attraction. There's a range of sexual desire that somebody who we might call homosexual may also be attracted to people of the opposite sex. And those people who we think of as heterosexual might also be attracted to people of the same sex and, you know, make these kinds of distinctions also in terms of gender. So those complexities are the kinds of things that the term queer often tries to catch that fall out of binary understandings of heterosexual versus homosexual, male versus female, masculine versus feminine. And there's very often a political agenda around that, which is about saying, I have a right to live the way I want to live,
1: The idea that an overt political agenda is being expressed by an individual's sexual or gender identity is an important difference between heterosexual and queer experiences of state legislation. And it is precisely because there are those in every country, especially in the US, that are politically challenged by homosexuality, that I wish to return again to Hillary Clinton's speech of 2011. Made four years prior to the U.S. and Europe embracing same-sex marriage, Clinton's speech both petitions for a global recognition of gay rights whilst also drawing a distinction between Western and non-Western values, acting as both a positive advocate for tolerance whilst also reaffirming a certain moral superiority of the liberal democratic state. Some
0: seem to believe it is a Western phenomenon. And therefore, people outside the West have grounds to reject it. Being gay is not a Western invention. It is a human reality. Now we must go further and work here and in every region of the world to galvanize more support for the human rights of the LGBT community.
4: Cindy Weber again. So the Obama administration started to create what I talk about as a sexualized order of international relations where you have good states and those good states are those states that treat their LGBTs well and bad states that treat their LGBTs badly. But the problem is that the world isn't that simple. And there are all sorts of ways in which, um, in which that very kind of organization of the world can create backlashes. So, for example, you know, sometimes you get foreign policies of what are called gay conditionality, where, for example, David Cameron was toying with the idea of withholding aid from Uganda because Uganda was not just imprisoning LGBT people for life but possibly capital punishment for them. Um, and, And the difficulty is that those LGBT people on the ground were sort of saying, but hang on, if you're taking international aid away from the state and using us as the reason to do that, who do you think the state is going to punish for that very reason? Who do you think society generally is going to punish? And so the question has to be, what do these kinds of policies mean for the lives of those people who get called L or G or B or T? Is that actually a virtuous act by the international community of liberal states who understand themselves to be pro- LGBT? Or is that something that actually leads to more hardship and, and incarceration and death um, uh, for the very people who we are the liberals are saying we're, we're going to protect? The concern becomes, that the United States under the Obama administration had a kind of one-size-fits-all sort of this is how you are good to your LGBT populations and we are going to teach the world what that model is and we're going to impose it upon them.
1: You've mentioned uh, Clinton, uh, Obama, but we haven't talked about Trump. Sure.
4: What we found once candidate Trump became president-elect Trump, is that he surrounded himself with the most homo, bi, transphobic transition team that we've seen in the history of the United States, where some of the members of that team would talk about how being gay was like being a kleptomaniac. It was criminal. It was insane. That gay marriage would be the end of US society. That LGBT rights were a new fascism. And what we've seen in the policies, the executive orders, are all sorts of homophobic, anti-LGBTQ policies.
1: So in order to understand the present day experience of the LGBT community in the United States, we're going to travel over 8,000 miles away to another youth center in Tulsa, Oklahoma.
6: Uh, My name is Tim Gillian, and I am the co-founder and now the executive director of Open Arms Youth Project in Tulsa, Oklahoma, and we are a gay, lesbian, bisexual, and transgender youth organization for young people ages 14 to 21.
1: Now, the US, like China, is a very large country and no one state can sum up the national experience. However, we've come to a staunch Republican city precisely to illustrate the relationship between legislation, which has not changed significantly over the last nine months, and the culture of acceptable behavior, which undoubtedly has. Speaking with Tim, it became apparent just how quickly democracies can change direction on social issues, and that the culturally sanctioned position or opinion ...of those in charge has a far-reaching effect into people's lives... ...even if, by and large, laws and legislation... ...designed to enforce tolerance remain intact.
6: So it was a completely democratic state. In the 90s, I got real active in democratic politics. I was going to run for office. Well, because of my connections... I felt like I was probably more called to help these youth than I was to run for office. And I was very disappointed in the Democratic Party because what I said was, you people have no balls. You will not stand up for what's right because you've got some preacher whispering in your ear or you're afraid the Republican's going to win because you said you support gay rights. You should be doing what's right for society, not what's right to get you elected. And that's when I kind of walked away.
1: In a state that voted for the Trump administration by a large majority, the Open Arms Youth Project has experienced some very real changes since Donald Trump became president at the beginning of 2017.
6: I mean, the day the day of the inauguration, the, the gay and lesbian page disappeared from the White House website. And the current political climate in our country has made it We've seen bullying rise almost 50% within the last few months just because it seems to be an acceptable method of dealing with people who are different from our government top-down. So it's been a little scary. Now, we've worked a lot within the Tulsa Public School System, so we have the administration on our side. But just because you have the top administrators on your side does not mean that 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 trickles down to all of the um, the on-the-ground educators or counselors. So we still have young people who encounter religious bias even in the school system. Even though that's not allowed by mandate of the administration, it still occurs because people value their Christian beliefs over the safety and judgment-free zone for these youth. So we have to be very careful. And we ask the kids to be very careful who they out themselves to because we don't want them to have any um, backlash in school. We want them to be safe. Cindy Weber again.
4: So the kinds of protections that we saw in the United States that were increasing under the Obama administration have been rolled back by the Trump administration. And what we also find is that at an international level, of course, the United States is no longer the champion of LGBT rights, is no longer uh, putting people, you know, making representations to the United Nations, for example, on behalf of LGBT people
6: we were encouraged so encouraged the last 8 years that we felt like we were working ourselves out of a job and then just almost immediately we realized we have to still be here we have to stay we have to continue to be open and provide the services that we provide because all at once these kids were suffering again kids that had never faced this the hate is just palpable right now in our country and it's it's pretty frightening
4: One example is the rights of transgender children in U.S. schools are not going to be defended by the Trump administration the way they were by the Obama administration. Another example is how independent contractors working for the U.S. government can opt out of equality guarantees, which means that this will disproportionately affect LGBT people. Another is um, an executive order that is about the so-called protection of religious freedom in the United States. Of course, it's not every religion, it's Christians who believe that homosexuality, bisexuality, transsexuality are sins and that therefore in their private business dealings, whether that's about renting someone a home or giving someone a job, they needn't respect the rights of LGBTQ people.
6: There are over 2,000 churches in Tulsa, Oklahoma, and there are 13 who are accepting of gay and lesbian people. So (laughs) we have a challenge there. Uh, We have lots of churches that try and change young people. They have what they call counseling, which is a counseling to counsel you away from your homosexuality. So we have kids who are damaged by that, and that is very frightening because so many kids just commit suicide because they think they're broken and they are indeed not broken and that's what we're here to tell them you're not broken you are perfectly fine just the way you are and you just need to be a healthy happy human and be who you were born to be
1: Returning to China, the similarities between the work of the two youth centres in empowering the self-esteem of those that identify as non-heterosexual suggests a social instinct that transcends both geography and political institutions. The sounds you hear are of a game designed to help those playing it feel more comfortable around the subject of sex. Pau Jiu is 17 years old and has attended the youth center for the last two years. It's a competition.
5: There are two groups, and uh, you have to touch the doodle. The first one who uh, touches the doodle, she or he can get the chance to sing the song or to answer the question. And because there are some, uh, some of them that are shy to do this, so this can make the game more difficult. And in China, people don't talk about sex, don't talk about condom, don't, don't talk about um, disease. So I think it's um, a, a window that I know um, so much things about this, and I um, make so many friends here, and we can talk so um, talk to each other. Uh, we can we, we don't have a mask because we can talk about our gender identity and sexual orientation. I also take my mom and my boyfriend here. So uh, this makes my uh, family relationship better, I think. Traditional parents, they also force their children to do the thing they think is right make you study hard to have a good job but not to follow your heart to do the thing you want but my dad, his marriage is a failure but I think he did the things he wants and he taught me that I can do what I want I can learn something I'm interested in I think other parents cannot understand my dad because he gave me the freedom that I can see the, the world in a free way, um, not not in the way that be controlled. And he's pretty cool with you identifying as bisexual. Yes, because I asked him, if I have a girlfriend, what would you do? He think about it, really think about it, and he said, I have no idea, but I think you should, um, you should introduce her to us. You should bring her to uh, our house, and we want to uh, know the, your partner, <laughs>
1: I mean. In order to understand better the relationship between the state and society in China, I felt that I needed to talk to somebody that understood the law and how it functions within this society. Hi. How are you? The man I'm I'm speaking to is the president for a Chinese LGBT youth network, which works with over 50 youth groups across the country. He is also an academic, currently finishing his Masters in Human Rights and International Relations. The Hillary Clinton speech of 2011, when she was working for the Obama administration, and she makes these very strong statements that gay rights are human rights and human rights are gay rights. Yeah. Mm. And then she goes on to say it doesn't matter where in the world you are or what governments you have, you know, this stands to be a, a truth. I wonder what people in, in China would, would make of that, whether that be the citizens or, or the government. Would would that seem like a preposterous idea?
7: Yeah, I think many Chinese citizens would not agree with uh, Hillary about this, even though they think homosexuality is not a problem or they can't tolerate these people themselves, but they don't think challenging the government is the right thing, and they don't think elderly uh, people should claim openly, politically, their rights.
1: For you, Yang, are mm. LGBT rights, are, are they political? Do you think it is a political discussion?
7: I think it's difficult to say because uh, since the 2001, homosexuality was removed from a psychological disorder. But the reality is that uh, many Chinese clinics are doing providing torsion therapy. Uh, so it means... Well, we don't have this uh, solid ground of uh, rule of law. Each citizen are uh, considered the law or government policies as something uh, necessarily to be respected, so that uh, we might have legal or policy progress. But what this can bring to people's life still is a question.
1: Many people outside of China assume perhaps that there is far more of an aggressive blackout on all voices of dissent, but it sounds to me from what you're saying that there is a place and there is a purpose to have a conversation with the political system.
7: Yeah, not uh, only a conversation between the society and the the government, but also uh, how to bring changes within the society itself. Because, So I think this is we uh, we need to teach to the society, especially the young generation, that you should do and you can do something to change uh, what uh, you find not so satisfying and uh, you are not happy with.
1: So the 17th of May, which is the International Day Against Homophobia and Transphobia, yeah. What what does that mean in China? Where to express yourself in the streets has slightly different dynamics.
7: Uh, for Chinese uh, NGOs, especially us, provides a model. That's how you can communicate this message to the public and uh, what tools can be used. If we don't have this occasion, it will be difficult to organize. But with with this occasion that. Uh, our member groups are motivated themselves. Automatically, they will think about, oh, it's a uh, uh, May 17. What are we going to do? Uh, without that, it would be very difficult to get uh, all these groups to have campaign in the in the same time. Yeah.
1: Paugia and Bibi are attending the International Day Against Homophobia and Transphobia at an event nearest to them.
5: Yeah, it's a local park here, mm-hmm. and with uh, the day of uh, May 17th. And uh, we are uh, bring the rainbow flag to show all of the people, the local people, uh, that we are gay, lesbian, LGBT people. Yeah.
1: Adding to the social complexity, they are parading next to a Chinese marriage market where parents meet each other in order to find partners for their children.
5: So this is like a marriage Uh, uh, market? Yeah, this is the details of themselves about their uh, birthday and uh, where they work and uh, uh, what they want to fund. And uh, they celebrate. Uh, they they held this meeting every weekend. Mm. But we'll come to here. But uh, maybe some people will ask us, uh, "Would you like to uh, meet my daughter or sons?" But we will say, "No. Uh, I'm I'm lesbian, and uh, I okay. want to find a girlfriend, but not boyfriend." <laughs> yeah.
7: it's a bit complicated to talk about human rights in china because the whole society doesn't have a consensus about the definition of human rights and it's even debate that whether chinese people should adopt this a system of human rights values and the theories which invented by the western world because some say that uh, as an intervention or uh, even an invasion of uh, western ideology. So for some people, LGBT issues are just uh, cultural or social issues and that uh, doesn't so much involve human rights. They say that uh, it's not necessary that uh, we use the legislation or a government policy to protect uh, LGBT people. And of course, uh, the others, especially advocates, uh, are more progressive and advocate for uh, legal and uh, policy protection.
5: So maybe we show up here and uh, if they bring their children here and they can find us we are maybe we are more uh, appropriate yeah that's yeah. a because we have some uh, stick some paper uh, behind us and it's uh, uh, it's it, it it's rotated, it, it, it on is uh, everyone is uh, the same uh, uh, LGBT people are the same as others. Uh, we we need uh, too many kinds of uh, styles of life, and we have to tolerate uh, others. And um, can you describe the reactions that uh, when people see you? Uh, some of them they don't know uh, they don't know what does the uh, uh, rainbow flag means. But when they so, when they, when they watch our papers behind us, they will know that.
1: Regardless of how any one government is organized, the tension between the law and society around issues of sexual identity seems to have a very real effect on LGBT communities in both China and the US. So whilst on the surface rich and liberal democracies might be more tolerant of sexual diversity, clearly the cultural values of the administration or of the people are not always aligned with the existing legislation. What's more, the danger with a narrative that positions the West as the progressive superior deserving imitation is that any single universal approach to tolerance of sexual and gender diversity is likely to misjudge many nuances of how people externalize sexual expression whilst judging the appropriateness of this within the cultural and political norm. It is also both too easy and untrue to characterize the West as a place without hatred or bigotry. Whilst the will to create tolerance around sexual diversity may be universal, the mechanism to bring this about is certainly not. Further information about all who featured in this episode can be found at www.theglassbeadgame.co.uk. And whilst you're there, why not subscribe for free at the top of the site? Your presenter for this episode has been Will Hood, and the series producer is Rob Alexander. The Glass Bead game has been brought to you by the School of Global Studies at the University of Sussex and is an
4: Animal Monday production.